Side 9 When they arrived breathless at the doorway, Marco is standing with all four hands clasped around a bundle of black feathers. Two small shining eyes watched him intently. It just sauntered in through the door, said the Kung. What was all the business with the candlesticks, said Kin. Silver snorted. Marco deduced the creature must have phenomenal sound detection apparatus, she said. It seemed logical that if it heard three of us climbing the tower... It's far too heavy for a bird, said Marco. It must be a machine. Now we can talk to the disc controllers and explain. The raven turned its head 180 degrees. Marco's mouth closed like a clam. Quoth the raven, You're the bastard that dumped me in vacuum. You're going to find out what happens to people who don't act respectful to one of the eyes of God. Marco's mouth opened and shut. Heaven help your hands if you're still holding me in five seconds, the bird added conversationally. Four, three, two. A thin wisp of smoke escaped from the feathers. Marco! His hands jerked back. The raven stayed in mid-air, balanced on a thin actinic flame that filled the hall with shadows and set the flagstone below cracking like springtime ice. Then it wasn't there. Kin had just enough sense to throw herself backwards as pieces of roof rained down. They looked up at the ragged hole far above and heard the cry, You'll be sorry! Talk, suggested Marco. I plead. Who runs the disc? Where are they? How may we contact them? We shall require adequate directions and a detailed assessment of probable risks. Kin stepped forward and smiled reassuringly at the tethered giant. Where did you come from, Svandor? she said. I have always understood that a dog with stomach gripes paused near a log and the sun hatched me out, lady. Do not let him near me. I can see his thoughts and... I won't let him hurt you. Oh, yes? Just how? Marco began angrily. Two of his hands were heavily bandaged. There is an island at the hub of the disc, said Kin sweetly, ignoring the interruption. Tell me about it. Great lady, great beasts roam there, or so it is said. None of us may go there on pain of... of... Of what? Agony, lady, pain. The world disappears, and then one is in a new place, and there is agony. But you have attempted to go there. There is nothing there but black sand, lady, and the bones of ships, and in the centre a dome of copper, and terrible engines. They cannot be tricked. Kin kept trying for another ten minutes, then gave up. I believe him, she said, joining the others and dialing for coffee. He is manifestly a product of complex technology, said Marco. Yeah, but he thinks he's a demon. What am I supposed to do, argue? If I chopped a foot off, perhaps he would think differently, said Marco, reaching for a knife. No, said Silver, drumming her fingers on the dumbwaiter's dome. No, I think not, Marco. We must assume that the disc builders tend to think like human beings. And humans set great store by mercy and fair play at least when it does not conflict with their interests. Let us therefore set the creature free, thus demonstrating our moral superiority. The action will declare us to be merciful and civilized. In any case, she added, and they instinctively looked up for ravens as she lowered her voice, I fail to see any further use in him. Kin nodded. 
Silver walked and pulled at the knots in the cable and let it fall away. Spandor stood up, looked at them solemnly, and walked out into the light. He raised a cloud of dust as he took off, jerking upwards like a man-heron, and hovered fifteen metres up. Zygonen! Try on! Tfti! Berigo! Horshim! So much for gratitude, said Silver. You understand the language, said Kin. No, but I think I got the drift of that. Asphalago Tegaram! Nema Dwola Nara! Where are you, Soignatori, Usore, Dilapidator? No! For an instant the demon was a black cloud that filled the sky, a fog of flickering fuzzy images, each one staring in terror. Then he was gone. There was a thump of inrushing air. They flew higher and fast over forests flattened by the falling ship. The smoke column was thinning, but now they were within miles of it, the sky was all smoke. Marco aimed directly at it, daring it to contain enemies. Ahead of Kin, his suit glittered like a silver spark against the darkness. Once inside, Kin was surprised that she could still see. It might have been better if she could not. Between billows was the landscape of hell. After five minutes inside the smoke, Marco spoke. I don't understand it, he said. There's no radiation. There shouldn't be, but there's far too much damage. Silver? Below them a drunken forest burned. Before the Shand answered, the ground below them disappeared abruptly, as if there had been a cliff. I can see nothing in this gloom, said Silver. Can you? Marco could. Kung eyes had better night vision. He swore and slowed his suit. The others did the same, drifting together so that the suits bobbed as in trio in the smoke. Marco was still staring down. I don't believe it he said softly. Let's go down. I'm flying blind, complained Silver. You must direct me so that I don't hit the ground. You won't, said Marco. Kin let herself drop, tensing herself for the crash until she came out of the smoke into moonlight, shining upwards. Vertigo gripped like a wrench. She could take space because everywhere was down and direction lost its meaning. Skimming over a landscape was fine. It was no different than driving an air car but not this, not hanging legs down over a hole in the world. The moon was directly below, hovering near infinity at the bottom of a tunnel that went down and down and down. Five miles deep, wouldn't you agree, Silver?' said Marco in the distance. "'And at least two wide. Are you all right, Kin?' Mm-hmm. "'You're still descending.' She fumbled dizzily for the suit controls. On a level with her eyes, a quarter of a mile away, was the lip of the hole, striated with bands of rock. Lower, she forced her eyes to move slowly. More bands, then a line of something metallic, and a pipe gushing water. Kin started to laugh hysterically. "'We're fine!' she giggled. "'We don't need to go any further. All we have to do is wait for the repairmen. You know what it's like with plumbers when you want one, they're never—' "'Cease gibbering! Silver seat or her!' snapped Marco. Kin saw his hand poised over his chest panel. Then he dropped, fast. Her eyes started to follow him down before Silver's gloved paw jerked her round. She felt motion and realised dimly that she was being steered away from the hole. After a while she heard Marco say, There's a pipe thirty metres across. Guess what? The water's pooling about two miles down, on air. That's why we're not in the middle of a descending hurricane. There's some kind of a gravity base down there. There's going to be one hell of a lake there soon. I've gone down forty metres. It looks like an explosion in a power station. There's sheared 
cables, I guess, multi-cord and what could be waveguide tubes or access tunnels or something. Silver? I hear you. I suggest the ship impacted on top of one of the disk environmental machines, which blew up, said the Shand. It looks like it. There's a lot of fused stuff, and scrub that. Here's a tunnel, a real tunnel. Can you hear me? I'm hovering in front of a semicircular tunnel. It's even got rails in it. The whole of the interior of the disk is one big machine. You should see this hole. It's big enough for a spaceship. There's, uh, eighteen rails across the floor. Access for machinery repairs, I assume, but it's half choked with rubble. The ship impacted five days ago, said Silver somberly. They have had five days in which to effect repairs. The disk builders are dead, Marco. There can be no other explanation. I can see no signs of repair, came the voice from the pit. Quite so. Something has gone wrong somewhere, just as the seas are erratic and the heavenly bodies misbehave. Which way does the tunnel run? Is there a continuation on the further side of the pit? There was a pause. Yes, I can see the other mouth of the tunnel. It runs direct from the rim to hub, said Marco. I had considered suggesting we continue our flight along the tunnel, but— It would be better to face any dangers in the open sky, precisely. Kin opened her eyes. She was hovering over blessed earth, scorched, maybe, baked and half-molten, but solid. Thanks, she said. Stupid, wasn't it? My forebears used to hang from trees by their knees. No shame, said Silver. I do not like darkness. We all have our phobias. Kin, you look a little pale. Kin didn't try to speak. She knew she couldn't. She managed a strangled grunt and pointed. Something was rising out of the pit with difficulty. That difficulty arose because it was almost too big. All she could think of was the Mount Trigvarsen Memorial. It was one of the Valhallian tourist attractions. Someone had carved the high-relief heads of Presidents Halfdan, Thorbjorn, Weasel Moccasin, and Toytile out of solid rock a few hundred feet high in the side of the mountain. That was what was rising out of the pit, a Mount Trigvasan, with one head missing, a three-headed thing. Only the head facing them was human. The others could have been a monstrous toad and some sort of insect. Giant faces merging sickeningly into an impossible head, and atop the head were three crowns big enough for houses. Below the heads a cluster of spider legs dangled, each one a hundred metres long. The effect was slightly marred by the fact that the far side of the pit could be seen through the image. Marco, said Silver, I don't think there's any more to be learned down. Did anything pass you on the way up? I don't understand. Look up, Marco. Holy shit! Kin choked. Do not be afraid, said Silver reassuringly. Afraid of that, said Kin. That monstrosity. I'm just good and angry, Silver. Know what that thing is? A comic scarecrow. An image sent out to scare away anyone who might look into the pit and find out about the disc. If we get back, I won't care who built the disc. I'll see that they're broken, busted, bankrupted. They've built a world people sail off the edge of and get chased by demons and are superstitious because that's how they survive. I'm beginning to hate it. Marco rose like a rocket in the centre of the image, became a glitter in the eye of Saitan, a spark in the brain of God. Intangible, he reported, a mere image. 
The great human face, kingly and cold, twisted. The mouth opened, and the pit echoed to a great sad sigh. And a lightning bolt struck out the smoking sky, and melted the dumbwaiter so thoroughly that droplets of hot metal spilled towards the bright obversical sky. Hale drummed off Kin's suit. They were flying now against a deadline. In fifty hours or less, Silver would go mad and attempt suicide. Kung and men could go for a long time without food. Shandy could not. The storm raged all around them, but sank away as Marco led them upwards. They burst out of the clouds into a disk sunset. It was far behind them, red and angry and barred with cloud. Judging from the sky, the whole of the disk was having bad weather, and bad wasn't really the word. Some of those cloud shapes were mad. Marco broke the silence. We have a thousand miles to cover, he said. That gives us an average speed of twenty miles an hour, said Kin. We could easily reach the hub, even with a few rest stops. So, we reach the hub. Do we find a dumb waiter there? Anyone capable of building the disk could build a dumb waiter. Why didn't they repair the hole, then? Eirik, Lothar, they are descendants of your disk builders, reverted to savagery. Or the disk builders are dead. Okay, have you got any better ideas? Marco snorted. Silver was trailing half a mile behind them, a dot against the livid sky. She rumbled politely to show that she was in circuit. There is a possibility we may find a waiter, she said, if the disc was built by the company. Don't, groaned Kin. In many ways the idea of the disc would fit in with the policy. By the way, there is a raven flying half a mile behind me. Kin stared at the rushing clouds below. Policy. Perhaps the disc was policy. The great spindle kings, wheelers, paleotechs, cathones, people of the universe. The universe was people. Once upon a time, astro-historians had thought in terms of a vast, empty, starry stage, a blank canvas waiting for the brush of life. In fact, it was now understood that life of a kind had appeared within three microseconds of the monoblocks explosion. If it hadn't, the universe would now be randomized matter. It was life which had directed its growth. Life had once resided in the vast spinning dust clouds that became stars. Every star was the skeleton of one of the great dust-accreting dinosaurs of the universe's Jurassic. Later life forms had been smaller, brighter. Some, like the Wheelers, had been evolutionary dead ends. Some, notably the great spindle kings and the Chameleons, had been successful in the only way that evolution measured success. They survived longer. But even star-striding races died. The universe was tombs upon graves upon mausoleums. The comet that brightened the pagan skies was the abraded corpse of a scientist three eons ago. The policy of the company was simple. It was make man immortal. It would take a while, and had only just started. But if man could be spread thinly on many different planets, so that he became many types of man, perhaps he would survive. The spindles had died because they were so alike. Now, upon dozens of worlds, men were being changed by different forces, maddened by different moons, bent by different gravities. Since the universe could not be said to have a natural ending, because the universe was not natural but only the sum of the lives that had shaped it, men intended to live forever. Why not? Preserve meme pools, preserve ideas, that was the secret. 
If you had a hundred planets, there was room for different sciences, curious beliefs, new techniques, old religions to flourish in quiet corners. Earth had been one united civilization and had nearly perished once because of it. Diversify enough and somewhere you'll always find someone capable of catching anything the future throws at you. People on a disc guarded by demons and ringed with a waterfall, what memes would they contribute to the genetics of civilization? She tried to explain to Marco. What are memes? said Marco. Memes are ideas, attitudes, concepts, techniques, said Kin. Mental genes. Trouble is, all the memes likely to develop on the disc are host-destructive. Anthropocentricity is one. A pale red moon rose above the curdled clouds. Now they flew a mile apart, flew high and fast to make the hours count. Kin kept an eye on the speck that was silver and worried. Quite wrong, of course, to project human thought patterns on an alien, but a man in Silver's position would live in hope that sooner or later food would be forthcoming. Men were optimists. You couldn't expect a Shand to think like a man. It was so easy to think of your friends as humans in a skin, and for good and noble reasons people were encouraged to think of aliens as funny-shaped men. Just because they learned to play poker or read Latin didn't make them human. In short, Kin wondered when Silver would attempt suicide. She signalled Marco and told him, "'We can do nothing,' he said. "'I have already decided to eat no food until we reach the hub as a gesture of solidarity. We could take disc proteins if the waiter's analysis was right,' he added. "'Will that make her feel better?' It may make us feel better. However, there is another problem that has recently forced itself on my attention. I hesitate to mention it. Mention it, mention it. Look at the panel on your left wrist. There's an orange fluorescent line against a green strip. See it? Kin squinted down in the flickering light. I see it, only it's an orange dot. Quite. But it should be a line. We really are running out of gas, Kin. They flew in silence for a while. Then Kin asked, How long? About six hours for you and me, perhaps an hour less for Silver. That will solve one problem. She'll come to Earth miles behind us. Except that we will, of course, stay with her, said Kin flatly. Marco appeared not to have heard. If we still had the waiter, the problem would not have been insurmountable. The hub is not too far. We could have terrorized disc people into transporting us. A hundred suggestions leap to their mind. It might have been quite enjoyable and good experience. Experience for what? Hobnobbing with the disc folk on a superior basis? I had planned, should the hub hold nothing of interest, to set up an empire. Surely the idea has occurred to you? It had in passing. Kin thought for a while of Genghis Marco, Marco Caesar, Presta Marco. He could do it at that, a four-armed god-king. How long would you say it would take the disc to get onto a space-going footing? he asked. If that was made a goal, I mean. We have the knowledge. No, we don't. We think we do, but all we know is how to operate machines. Of course, you could get a spaceship built inside a decade. That soon. Then we could... No, we couldn't. Kin had been thinking about this, too. 
What could be built is a primitive capsule powered by solid fuel rockets with enough oomph to ram the outer dome. You could launch it by dropping it over the waterfall. First, we'd have to unify the disk, said Marco thoughtfully. Not difficult. Give me five hundred Norsemen and— There's silver, said Kin. And anyway, I have great hopes for the hub. Even so. She had been doing a lot of thinking before they lost the waiter. With the waiter they might have conquered the disk, filling the void left by the presumably departed disk creators. Without it, the best they could hope for was a comfortable life. In a strange way, it wouldn't be so bad for the other two. They would be aliens marooned on a strange world. She would be marooned among people. It was possible that she had more in common with Silver and Marco than she did with the barbarians down there. It was a dreadful possibility. These belts are supposed to be able to fly you halfway across a system and land you on a planet, she complained. They were not expected to carry people thousands of miles against gravity, including many changes of altitude, said Marco. It is most vexing. Vexing? If you feel so strongly, I suggest you make a complaint to the manufacturers. How could— Was that a joke? said Kin. Good grief. Dawn saw them flying over semi-desert and scrub, in a sky free of clouds. Once they passed over a camel train, almost invisible were it not for its skeletal, juddering shadow on the sand. They had drifted slightly off their course during the night, and as far as Marco could estimate, was speeding down the Tigris-Euphrates valley. "'That puts us in south-east Turkey,' said Marco, and added wistfully, "'That means Baghdad. I should like to have seen Baghdad.' "'Why?' said Kin. "'Oh!' When I was a kid, my foster folks bought me a book of fantasy stories about, well, genies and magic lamps and such. It made a big impression on me. Don't suggest landing, said Kin. Don't even think about it. But they passed over a city of low white houses surrounding palaces and strangely domed buildings. A tent town lay outside the walls. The river the city straddled was noticeably a different colour downstream and low enough between its banks to speak of drought. Now the sun was well up, the ground shimmered. A mile later Silver's belt failed. There was no question of a crash. Instead, all forward power ceased as the battery's waning ergs buoyed her gently to the ground. The others followed her down into a grove of knotted, sweet-smelling trees. When Kin took off her helmet, the heat hit her like the breath of hell. Too hot, she decided. No wonder the fields looked scorched. From here the river was a blood-coloured snake, winding weakly between slabs of cracked mud. Well, she said vaguely. She meant, this is it. I am at a loss, said Marco, moving hurriedly into the heady shade under the trees. You mean you don't have a plan? Your meaning? Oh, forget it. Kin took a sip of water from the suit's reservoir. I have to be careful about that, too. Silver sat with her back against a trunk, staring vaguely at the city. Behind her the sun was a copper rivet in a sky like hot iron. Then she commented, An aircraft has just risen. He was old in looks at least. His face wrinkled like an old apple. His grey beard was intricately styled. His eyes seemed to show neither whites nor expression. Certainly he did not seem surprised disk builder? While Kin watched him and Silver talking, facing each other cross-legged under the trees, 
she thought hard and fast. His clothing didn't look anything but barbarously splendid, but she was no arbiter of disc fashion. His craft was technologically advanced, and he knew how to use it. At the moment it was folded up inside a pouch on the belt of his travelling companion, a large, broad man wearing nothing but a loincloth and a dour expression. He held a long, curved sword, and his eyes never left Marco. Kin slid across to the Kung. "'I wonder where he keeps his anti-personnel blaster?' she asked. "'Marco, you know you and Silver had this idea about how I could survive on this by using sex.' "'You have that advantage, yes?' "'Well, forget it.' "'Your meaning?' "'Just forget it. "'Our fat friend with the sword is—' She stopped, furious to feel herself reddening. "'Marco, can't you recall anything else from that storybook?' Marco's face was blank for a while. Then he winced. "'Ah, yes,' he said. "'You mean, like, unique?' "'Not too unique for this time and place,' said Kin, and turned towards Silver. The Shand looked up at her. "'This could be Arabic,' he said. "'I've never heard it spoken. I've tried a bit of Latin, which I think he understands, but he's not letting on. The only thing I've established so far is that he wants our suits.' Kin and Marco exchanged glances. A look of almost ethnic guile spread across the Kung's face. "'Tell him they're very precious,' he said. "'Tell him we wouldn't exchange them even for his aircraft. Tell him we need to get to the coast quickly.' "'You'll never fall for that,' said Kin. "'Anyway, there's hardly any juice left in the belts.' "'That's his worry,' said Marco. "'I have a plan. But first of all, I'd like to see how he operates that flying rug.' "'Tell him it is too hot to negotiate out here. "'It's true, anyway.' "'There followed a long exchange of cracked phrases and words, "'repeated at varying levels of exasperation. "'Finally the man nodded and stood up, "'motioning towards the servant with a hand. "'The big man stepped forward and reached into his pouch, "'handing his master the, um... "'Call it the, um... "'Hell,' thought Kin. "'It is a flying carpet.' only we don't like to say it because it sounds crazy. It was about two metres by three, and patterned with an intricate geometrical design in blue, green and red. Spread out on the ground it hugged the bumps and hollows limply. The man said a word. Some dust was blown up as the carpet straightened, stiffened, and hovered a few inches above the sand. Kin thought she could hear a faint hum. It didn't rock even when Silver stepped aboard. The man with the sword sat behind them, the old man said another word. The ground fell away noiselessly. "'One could coat a surface with flexible lifting units,' said Marco after a while, with a brave little quiver in his voice. "'But what about power? How could you get batteries this thin?' Similar thoughts had been passing through Kin's mind since she was staring intently at the carpet between her knees so that her eyes didn't stray over the edge. She was aware that Marco was sliding gingerly towards her. "'You nervous too,' she said. I am conscious of mere millimetres of unknown and unproven flying machine underneath me, he said. You weren't nervous in the lift belts, but they were under an unconditional hundred-year guarantee. If one belt failed, how long would the manufacturer stay in business? I do not think one could fall off this if one tried, said Silver. She hit the air beside her with a paw, and it made a noise as though someone had punched jelly. "'Safety field,' she said. "'Try it.' 
Hin waved a hand gingerly over the carpet's edge. It was like moving through treacle, and as she pushed, like leaning on rock. Ali Baba turned round, grinned at her, and spoke a sentence. When the carpet was finally flying level again, there was silence. Finally, Marco said flatly, Tell the lunatic, if he attempts that again, I will kill him. Kin released her numb fingers from their grip on the patterned pile. Be diplomatic, she added. Be tactful. Say that if he does it again, I will maim him. Two loops and a triple roll. On the disc-generated gravity, shaped fields and a direct vocal control came wrapped up in one neat carpet-shaped vehicle. She wondered how Marco intended to seal it. They skimmed low over the flat roofs of the city. Kin saw people in the narrow, crowded streets look up, then turn back and go about their business. Magic carpets, apparently, were familiar objects. They homed in on a minor palace, a squat white affair, with a central dome and two ornate towers. There was a garden behind decorative trellises. Now that was odd. It must have its own source of water, she said aloud. Why? said Marco. Everything else round here is parched. That's the one green spot we've seen today. That would not be surprising, if he is a disc builder, said Marco. A fact which I doubt. And I also, rumbled Silver. Yet he handles the carpet well enough, and our flying belts evinced only cautious greed, not all. I am thinking now in terms of some hermetic order, maybe, handing down disc-builder machines and relics with no proper understanding of their internal workings. Like a savage may competently drive a ground car while believing it to be powered by little horses under the engine cowling. Alibaba brought them down perfectly the carpet drifting slowly across a balcony and through an arch into a high-ceilinged room. It hovered a few inches above the intricately tiled floor, then settled. He leapt up and clapped his hands. By the time the others had untwisted their limbs and, in Marco's case, eased the steel grip his hands had been maintaining, a posse of servants had entered the room. They carried towels and wide bowls. "'That had better be water,' growled Marco, "'cause I'm gonna drink it.' He pushed his head noisily into the bowl in front of him, causing mild consternation amongst the servants. Silver picked up hers and, after a preliminary sniff, opened her mouth like a funnel and tipped it down. Kin drank her fill in a reasonably ladylike manner and used the rest to wash the dust off her face. She took the opportunity to look around. There was hardly any furniture. The room was just an ornate box, walls decorated with geometrical and horticultural patterns, and several large screens at one end. By the grounded carpet was a low table, its top apparently one thick slab of crystal. Ali had disappeared, along with the servants. Silver peered around the room. The water was ice cold, she stated. There were crystals in it. Show me iced water, and I'll show you civilization. Anywhere else it would mean a refrigerator, Kin admitted. But here, I'd bet they've got hot and cold running demons in all rooms. Marco walked over to the carpet and inspected it carefully. Then he stepped on it and said the word. I imagine it's slaved to his voice pattern, said Silver, without looking round. Marco cursed quietly. Alibaba appeared from behind the screens, followed by two men with swords. He was carrying a small black box on a red cushion. He looked sideways at Silver and spoke a few words in halting Latin. He is going to uh, summon... That which speaks all tongues, she said. 
I think. End of side nine.